Um, how many of y'all have ever changed your mind? Ladies, please raise your hands. <laughs> I've been married for over 30 years. And I have uh, had plans to do something. Ask my wife, what are we going to do? She says we're going to do something. I plan on doing it. And as soon as I turn around, we're doing something else. Because we've changed my mind. Uh, I had to change my mind tonight, as a matter of fact, on what I was going to uh, uh, preach on. or Because I've always been a pastor's advocate, even before I was a pastor. I was a pastor's advocate. I knew that they had gone through a lot. I knew that they were, were dealing with a lot. And so my first uh, thought was, and I don't know if y'all know this or not, but about two weeks ago, how many were in the sanctuary when Pastor Scott was preaching on uh, the Olivet Discourse? Raise your hand. He took a big chance there. He took a big chance. Um, for those who don't know me, my dad had taught the senior men for decades. My dad was pre-mill, pre-trib, dispensational. You're not going to change him from that, ever. And he's, pa he's, pa he's passed away now. Uh, but Scott took a big... Uh, but Scott... <laughs> he, he, he may know the truth now. Uh, he does know the truth now. But, but Scott took a big uh, leap of faith of saying that he's actually changed his eschatological views, his end-time views. And for a lot of people, if you, if you know, if you change the color of the carpet in the church, you're going to have controversy. Changing your eschatological views, you're going to have controversy. You know what? That's okay. That's absolutely fine. I've, I've sort of changed mine. I'm actually pre-wrath. I think we'll go three and a half years through the tribulation. I, I was pre-mill, pre-trib dispensational for a lot of my life. But I changed to pre-wrath. I don't know if Scott mentioned what he is now. I'm not going to say anything. I know what he is because we talked about it. But it's okay to change your mind on certain things. And I was going to support him in that. I don't agree with his view. It's okay. Because you can, you can disagree with things in the Bible. It's fine. Because if it's not the foundations, if it's not about trusting in Christ, the one and only way to heaven, you're okay. I absolutely believe that God the Father enjoys watching two of his children sitting down debating his word in a good debate. I love it. And then I thought, okay, so since I'm going to support Pastor Scott, I'm going to go and look and I'm going to say, well, I could have done the kenosis thing where, you know, Jesus is all man, he's all God. Could, could Christ sin? I'm not going to get into that. Changed my mind on that one time, too. <laughs> you know, I said, that everybody gets into that. I said, there was a little passage, though, that I can remember when I was a pastor over at Shadybrook that I read, that I studied, and I changed my mind on it a little. I said, maybe I'll preach them to that. Yeah, I'll, 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 we'll do the study right there. And then so I looked in my notes because we were going book by book on Wednesday nights. And I went to 2 Kings and I looked in there and as soon as I popped open 2 Kings chapter 6, where we're going to be tonight, I found out I preached that as a sermon too. So you're going to get a little bit of sermon and a whole lot of support. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. So if you all may know this story... It's about Elisha. Who came first, Elijah or Elisha? Jah. The, the good way to remember that is alphabetical. J is before S. Elijah became before Elisha. Okay, so that's easy to easy to remember. But tonight we're going to talk about, um, and my, my title for my for my lesson is a noun is a terrible thing to be. Do we have any school teachers in here? Oh. What is this called? I'm going to put you on the spot. What are these? We call them three dots. What is that actually called? If you don't know, 
ellipses. Ellipses. Yeah, they're called they're called a period of ellipse. Okay, which means and I, I won't ask any further after that. Which means there is something to follow. Okay, so there's some, so a noun is a terrible thing to be, and I'll let you know at the end of the lesson what a noun is a terrible thing to be. But a noun, does anybody know what a noun is? It's a part of speech, obviously. If you remember, you know, what was that, Schoolhouse Rock, you know, nouns and you know, conjunction, junction, what's your function, you know, all those things. A noun, when I was growing up, always named a person, place, or thing. They've, they've expanded the category a little bit. Now it names an idea or an animal. But what I want to focus on tonight or three, I'm going to focus on the place. A place, obviously, is anything with a proper name, a physical location, or a general locale. I'm going to focus on a person, a term for a person, whether a proper name, gender, title, or class. And I'm going to focus on a thing. Of course, a term for a thing which is, exists now, will exist, or existed in the past. So we're going to focus on a noun, a person, place, or thing. And I want you to listen closely and pay attention because a noun is a terrible thing to be. I'm going to hold you right there for right now. Because something is missing. So if you, if you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, this is a really familiar story. And I will let you know where I've changed my mind here in just a little bit. But let's read it real quick. So 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, let every man take a beam from there, and let us make a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your service. And he answered, I'll go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, so he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron flow. Therefore, he said, pick it up yourself. So he reached out his hand, and he took it. I can remember when I was a kid thinking about this story. When I heard this in Sunday school, I said, man, that is so cool. You have the men of God, you have them building this place, and they go out there, and they, you know, they lose the axe head, and he made it flow, and he picked it up. That is a neat, neat story. But I never really got into it too much to think about what was actually going on there. What was going on when Elisha did this? But first of all, let's talk about the place. Why are we even talking about a place? What is the place that's just mentioned right there that in 2 Kings chapter 6? What is the place? Jordan. Jordan. Okay, there's a Jordan. That's true. That is true. We're going to back up just a hair before that. Why were they going to the Jordan? That is an excellent place. That is exactly where they are. We'll talk about the Jordan here in just a second. Why were they going to the Jordan? If you'll notice in the verses, the prophet says, where we are now is too small. Where were they? The place, the place was a prophet school. Now, prophet schools were actually started by the prophet Samuel. And Elisha has continued this. But the place was getting too small. It's like a church is overflowing. They wanted to build a bigger place. That is a wonderful thing that's going on here. The prophet school is getting too small. Elisha, can we go and build a place near the Jordan? He said, sure, go ahead. Sounds like a great idea. And so they said, okay, we're going to... But one of them thought, hey, let's ask the master to go with us. Let's ask the man of God to go down to the Jordan so we can build 
a bigger prophecy school. Now, something you have to remember about the Jordan, since that's another place we're talking about, is back then the Jordan had trees surrounding it. And the Jordan actually had a lot of water flowing in it, and sometimes it would overflow its banks. A good time to build is when the Jordan is overflowing its banks, because why? You would know where, how far back to build off the Jordan, so if it overflowed, it would not hit your prophecy school. That's probably, a lot of commentators believe, that's probably the time that they went to go build the prophecy school. They wanted to go because it was too small. They wanted to build it near the Jordan, which would be a, just a really nice sightseeing scene. I don't know about you, but I like, I like houses at the lakes or houses at a river that's running. I like houses at water. Water is soothing. Water is nice to just let it trickle by and just let it relax your mind. They wanted to build near the Jordan because the prophecy school was too small. But one of them said, let's take the master with us. Remember that. Because our next thing is what? It's the person. And the first person, of course, I'm talking about is Elisha. What's the unique thing about Elisha that you can remember? Anybody? What's the one unique thing? Not, 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 not of his miracles. He, he, he did a lot of miracles, but what was the one thing about Elisha, why Elijah was still alive, that was unique about Elisha? He, he what? He got to see Elijah taking up the That was a promise, too. The pro what she said, she, he got to see Elijah taken up in the whirlwind, not by the chariot, but by the whirlwind. <laughs> I was thinking it was a fiery chariot. And Elijah told him this, because Elisha asked him something. He said, Elijah said, what do you want, Elisha? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of what you got. Ever thought about that? Elijah, a man that has been known throughout the entire Bible, Elijah, one of the men that's going to come back and probably prophesy, no matter what your eschatological view is, most people will assume Elijah is definitely coming back. The other one, yeah, people got, you know, variations on it. Uh, I think, I believe, uh, J. Vernon McGee thinks it's going to be John the Baptist for the other prophet. Anybody, anybody else have another prophet they think is going to be with Elijah during end times? J. Vernon McGee thinks John the Baptist. A lot of people think in it. Why? Because he was taken up and was no more. I'll tell you why J. Vernon McGee thinks it's going to be John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. You're sitting there, wait a second, that's New Testament. John, yeah. Why is John the Baptist the last Old Testament prophet? He was the bridge between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I suck. I, I, I can sort of agree. Some people think it's going to be Moses. I mean, y'all thought it was Moses, didn't you? Elijah Moses. Y'all heard it all the time. It's going to be Elijah Moses. Here's the thing. It's okay to debate that. It does not affect your salvation at all. It's okay. So, Elisha's got a double portion from Elijah. He's sitting here. He's the man that they've asked to come with them. And they asked the master to go with them. The thing that the, the prophets back then, they were the voice of God. If you wanted to hear God, you needed to hear a prophet. The problem usually is when you heard from a prophet, what was probably going on in your little town or village or city? Probably something wrong. Probably something against God because he's sending you a messenger to say, you need to correct this. Aren't you glad you're living in grace? Because back then, being a prophet, that was not a cakewalk. 
because a lot of the prophets actually suffered the same thing that the children of Israel or whomever they said, they suffered through it too. Think about Jeremiah. Where was he? Think about the prophets when they said that they were, this is going to come upon you. They were there as well. But these men wanted to ask the voice of God to come in. That, that to me was amazing. That to me shows that they honored their elders. They honored the men of God. So the place was what? It was a prophecy school. The person was whom? It was Elisha. Now let's talk about the thing. The thing was the thing that they borrowed. What did they borrow? An axe head. Israel did not do a lot of iron working. Where did they usually get their iron from? Does anybody know? They got it from their enemies. They usually got it from the Philistines. They were the iron workers. And then an axe head back then, who knows actually how much it cost, but to lose an axe head would probably make somebody an indentured servant to have to pay that off. You, I, I lost your, I, you know, that's like going up to somebody now and saying, I have burned your house down. What can I do to pay you back? I will do anything. You just have to work for them to build the house. But if you look at the verses, they said, after they asked Elisha to go with them in verse 3, you know, will you go with Please consent. And he said, I'll go with you. And they went. They came to the Jordan. They were cutting down the trees. Now when it says they were cutting down the trees, they had more than one axe. But the one that we're talking about, the thing that we're talking about was the borrowed axe head. And as one was cutting it in verse 5, the axe head flew off into the water. And you have to really put some emotion right here. He cried out, I have lost my life. It just went into the Jordan. What has become of me now? This isn't, oh, axe head flew off. We can go to the Ace Hardware and buy another one. Can't do that. The axe head that he borrowed flew off and he had so much concern about it, he cried out with a loud voice. What that shows me is that there is a quality here that is not in today's standards. When you borrow something now, and if you are getting on any type of social media, if you see somebody borrow something with somebody on social media and something happens to that, a lot of times the person who borrowed it does not care. They could care less what happened to it. They could care less if something happened to it. Ah, oh, you can buy another one. Here, he was so concerned that he wanted to return the borrowed that He could immediately say, hey, give me that ass. I'm going to return this one to him instead. No. He wanted to return the one that was borrowed. He said, last master, it was borrowed. And so the man of God just simply asked, where did it fall? And he showed it. And here's where I've changed my mind. I think most of your versions right here, if you read it, says, where did it fall? And he showed it. And so he cut off a what? Stick. A stick. So I started thinking about this. They're at the Jordan. The Jordan is most likely overflowing. And if you read down further, when the axe head flows up, what did he ask him to do? Reach out and pick it up. Here's my question. If this is the bank, and that's the Jordan, and the axe head flew off there, he knew exactly where the axe, did he not know exactly where the axe head, he said, Elijah, it fell right there. 
stick down, said, now reach out and get it. When they said, why didn't he just go out into the water, you know, jimmy up everything, go out, grab it, pick it up, and come back? He knew exactly what the accent was. Does, has anybody ever thought about that? I did. I'm like, that makes no sense to me. Why didn't he just walk out to the water where he knew it was, pick it up, and bring it back? Like I said before, when you do a lot of study on this, it's because the Jordan was overflowing. Y'all ever watch the news and when the roads and stuff flood over, what did they tell you not to do in your car? If you can't see the road, don't drive. Do you know it only takes two inches of water to lift the car off the road and spin it around and take it down? Two inches. If the Jordan's overflowing, the reason this little son of the by the way, son of the prophets is if anybody knows that's not their actual children, that's the people that we call them students now. That's who they are. But the son of why why didn't he go out there and get it? Because the Jordan was overflowing. That's why he didn't walk out there in the first place. And then you start looking at it and go, well, there's more than one miracle that's taking place here because if he threw a stick into the overflowing Jordan and the axe head floated, the other miracle is the stick stayed in the same place. He threw a stick into an overflowing Jordan. What happens if you throw a stick into running water? The stick goes with the running water. It doesn't, it, it doesn't sit in one place. There's two or three miracles happening here, but the only miracle you ever hear about was the floating axe head. So I started thinking, hmm, let me do some word investigation. So I started doing some word investigation. The word that they use for stick in Hebrew, if you look at it, is atas, A-T-E-S. And if you ever go to a Bible college or a seminary, they'll teach you how to look at words. And the very first thing you want to do is when you look at a word and you're studying a word, you want to find out how the writer use that word in other passages in Kings. When well, 1 Kings, atas is used in 22 verses 29 times. How many times did they translate it into stick? Once. And if you want to go to 2 Kings, it probably was the same writer. 10 verses, 10 times. How many times they translated it into 2 Kings? None. So I started thinking, okay, the translators decided to translate this into stick, but in all the other passages, do you know what they translated a toss to? Trees, wood, sometimes carpenter for carpenter's wood, which they would make things, they or timber. That's how they translated it. Trees, wood, or timber until they got here. The only other places that a toss is actually translated into stick is when they say they are gathering sticks um, and, and it's used with the word gathering. Gathering sticks. It's not, they're not gathering anything here. He cut off. And if you look at the word cut off in Hebrew, that means to lay down. When you chop a tree, he laid it down. It's the same word. So I started scratching my head. It's like, okay, this, this, uh, we got to put some things together here. If he used a stick, and the stick was a miracle, and the axe head flooding was a miracle, some other things are probably going on here. And here's where I changed my mind. Because I started looking at the word of toss. I started saying, all right, 
If it actually means trees or timber or wood, then let's put that word in instead of stick. And now how would the verse read? He cut down a tree, which he could have done because there were other axes. Now, how many of y'all have ever been rafting? I've been rafting in the Nantahala. The things that they tell you about rafting is when you're going down, it says, if you ever see a big rock that's sticking up and you see water hitting that rock, it'll go into a swirl. They say, don't get around that swirl because it'll probably go and hit the rock and go under. And what it's going to do to you is if you get in there and get into that, it's going to put you down and bring you back up. And it's going to put you down and it's going to bring you back up. That's what water does. Water has a lot of power to it. That's why we use hydraulics and stuff. You can only compress water so much and something's going to give. I truly believe, after studying this passage, that Elisha did not throw a stick out there. He cut down a tree because the Jordan was overflowing. I truly believe that when he cut down that tree, that God gave him the knowledge of if you follow the tree right here, the water's going to hit that axe head and make it what? Blow up. It still floated. It, it technically still floated. And it floated up. And then when he told the child of the prophet, when he told one of his students, now go out there and get it. He's not doing it from the bank. What is he doing? He's walking out on the wood, bending over and getting that axe head, and then walking back. Which makes a lot more sense than why didn't he just do that in the first place? Because he couldn't. So I changed my mind about it. And of course, when you change your mind and you take out a miracle from the Bible, boy, people get on to you. So Ricky, you just took out a miracle. No, I didn't take out any miracles from the Bible. None whatsoever. Didn't change a passage at all. I was just doing a little bit of word study. And I decided that the real miracle was that they had faith in their master to do the correct thing. That's where I believe the miracle happened. Alright, so I've talked now for about 20 minutes on seven verses. Did I change anybody's mind? How many believe that Elisha threw a stick out into the water... <coughs> And he reached right from the bank and pulled up the axe head that had floated up. Or how many now believe, hey, that actually makes some sense, Ricky. You did some good study on that. I'll consider what you said. How many would actually, uh, let me at least go this way. How many would consider that Elisha chopped down a tree, he went out on the tree, the axe had floated up by natural means, he picked it up and went back to the bank. At least consider that. How many has got to raise their hand because I'm, I'm not going to get into this debate no matter what happens. <laughs> you know what? It's okay. If you still believe it's a stick, that's fine. That's fine. That's, some, that's something that the Bible tells us, iron sharpens iron. You show me why you believe it's a stick. I'm going to show you why I believe it was a tree. And we can sit there and debate and have a good, good discussion about this. And we can leave with the exact same expressions, the exact same opinions that we have. You know why? It doesn't affect our salvation, not whatsoever. None. Zilch. Nada. And I believe God the Father is extremely happy if His children will sit down and do that with His Word. Go study it. If you, if you don't have any study sources or anything, get ESOR. It's free. You can do a word study on ESOR if you've got the sources, if you have... Any time, do a word study on it. And then come back and tell me why I'm wrong. That's fine. I'm fine with that. I have debated many a people 
on certain things. I'm the base scout on his eschatological views right now. He'll probably do me in, but I'll still debate him on it. <laughs> yes, sir. I guess as a child, I always thought uh, he threw the stick in and it went in, into the head of the axe. That it, oh, okay. That, that it, the stick and the axe joined together. Okay. Never thought about that. That's an interesting point of view. I like that. There's all sorts of points of views you can have on this passage. So now, since I sort of supported Scott, you can differ with a man. You can differ with your pastor. It's fine. Please do. It makes it a lot more interesting. It really does. Brings up some really good conversations, too. Now, I will tell you this. You're going to debate your pastor. He's probably studied a little bit more than you have. So you better be ready when you go in there. You better have your facts down pat. Uh, if you ever do want to debate, write down some questions. Say, here's my questions I'm going to ask you. Would you please write down the questions you're going to ask me? And that's actually how a good debate starts. At least then you'll have time to prep for it. But when I was preaching this, I'll get back to this now. <clears throat> It's been a while since I talked about it. So <laughs> um, I'll get back now to the person, place, and thing and give you an application for today. You know, something was missing. It was the accent in the story. It just went flying off. But when you start talking to people, when you start seeing people in their everyday lives, you realize there's something missing in people's lives these days, whether you're Christian or non-Christian. And it can fly right off. I used to tell people all the time, I said, it's amazing. My wife and I, we don't do it anymore because we're so old, we just, we can't really get into good fights anymore. <laughs> but, you know, we used to, when we got into a heated discussion, we could be sitting there going, I did it, I did it. And the phone rings, hello? Yeah, okay, that's your bet. And right back to it. It's like you can change on a dime. You can do that. But people are missing something in today's life. Look at the news. Look at what's going on in the world. I truly believe we're seeing end time signs right now coming face forward at us because people are missing something in their life. Let me give you some applications about what's missing. A place, for instance. Places can deteriorate. Now, their place wasn't deteriorating. They were going to try to build a new one. But you think about places deteriorating it. How many of you clean your home? Please raise your hand because if not... Your place will deteriorate. I will guarantee it. It will deteriorate in a heartbeat. Going to a place that has not been lived in, a house that used to be lived in, you know, with many people, and then about a year or two later, if nobody's living in, go in there, and you'll see things start to deteriorate. Dust and stuff will collect, and bugs will start, and it'll start, places deteriorate. How about this? Your church can deteriorate. Try not participating in it. It will deteriorate. I mean, how long do you think the church could have its doors open if people weren't participating in the activities? 
And it's not just activities. It's things that help promote the kingdom of God. It's things to show the light into a dark and lost world. Places deteriorate. That's verses 1 and 2. People will disappoint you. I will guarantee it. You probably may be disappointed in tonight's lesson. That's fine. I don't care. I've taught it before and that's, that's okay. You have that right to be disappointed. Your parents can disappoint you. Your parents can disappoint you. I, I'll give you one that uh, I used to tell my mom. Uh, when I was young, I loved Elvis Presley. I loved him. And he came close. I don't know where he came close to North Carolina one time, but my parents were going to go see Elvis Presley. And I knew it. And I asked my mom, I said, Mom, can I go? Can I see Elvis with you? She said, I'll tell you what, son. The next time he comes back around, I will take you. Elvis died. <laughs> I didn't hold it against her long. And I'm obviously not holding it against her now. She's in heaven. But um, that's a small disappointment in my life. I just, you know, parents will disappoint you. You know what I'm talking about. Because you can tell that some people in some people's lives, especially when you read the Bible and you talk about a heavenly father, and as soon as you say the word Father, you can just see a snap in their eye because they don't have a Father here on earth that they know. That's loving. That's kind. That's merciful. Because people can disappoint you. Your pastor can disappoint you. Yes, he can. But let me give you some good words of advice, having been a pastor myself. You pray for that man. He's been here, what, over, he's 15? What is going on now? 20, over 20, 20-something years. This is his family too. And when something happens in his family here, it affects him. And a lot of people don't realize. And you'll be amazed at the things he knows and hears and sees that will never come across your desk. You pray for him. He may disappoint you, but you pray for him. And then finally, things. So places can deteriorate, people can disappoint, things can disappear. Try your job, for instance. Try not showing up for your job. I guarantee you, your job will disappear. If not, I'd like to know where you're working. Because that, that's an amazing place you're working at. We're in a more senior class. Some of you are younger, but some of you are older. Your health will disappear. Will it not? I'm 55, and I tell you, two days ago, I was walking in my house, and this knee right here decided to give out on me. Walking in my house. I have been wearing a knee brace at work now for two days just so I can walk and get, I'm, I'm a little timid on it right now. Things, your health, they'll, they'll, if you don't take care of it, they will disappear. So I just named what? I just named a person, a place, and a thing. So I just named what? So I'm going to complete this sentence for you now with a period of ellipsis. Ready? A noun is a terrible thing to be the object of your affection. Because they can deteriorate, they can disappoint, and they can disappear. Yet we see so many people on material goods, worshiping people. I tell young couples when they get married, I said, all of your love should not be on your spouse. I love my wife to death, but you know who my first love is? Jesus Christ. I tell young couples, you're going to make a vow to love your spouse. You're going to make that between you two and God. But there will come a point in your life where you're not going to like them. 
And when you don't like them, you're going to step this way and they're going to step that way. Somebody may, may remember the sermon I did a long time ago up on stage over there. I think it was with uh, um, Chris and Jennifer Braley. And they were my couple. And I had Scott up there. And I said, okay, you're going to do this and you're going to do this. And, you're... and they kept stepping further away and further away until finally one day when all the children around the house, they finally turn around and go, who is that person way over there? It's not someone I like now. I don't know that person anymore. But you know how you reconcile that? You turn your eyes toward Jesus Christ. You turn your eyes toward God. Because if you would get your life right, and your focus right, and you start stepping towards the Lord, and you pray that your spouse will start stepping towards it had nothing to do with you stepping towards them. It had everything to do with you stepping towards Lord Jesus Christ. And when you step towards Christ, and they step towards Christ, and you step towards Christ, what goes on naturally? You step towards each other. And now it's a terrible thing to be the object of your affection or hope. Because they dissipate. And you, have to, you have to realize that right now we're in a world that's materialistic. We're in a world that worships people. I mean, I, I used to watch it all the time, but it's a terrible show name, American Idol. Okay? But we do stuff like that all the time. There are celebrities on YouTube and TikTok, but they're just people. Your affection should always be pointed towards Christ. And that really wraps, it just goes right around in circles. If your affection is always towards Christ, if you do run into a brother or sister that disagrees with you on certain passages of Scripture, it's okay. But if they disagree with you on the basics that have to be right, that's when you need to be in prayer for them. Not hate them, just pray for them. If they don't believe that Jesus is the only way, pray for them. If they believe there's another way to get into heaven, pray for them. You know why I can say that? Because I've watched my brother go through three different denominations and now he's Catholic. Do I agree with the Catholics? No. I've studied it. I've read about it. I'm not there. But I love my brother today. I love to play disc golf with him. He lives as a crow flies within a mile of me. Contact him all the time. I don't like his theology. But I do know this. He loves Jesus, and he believes that he's the only way to heaven. And as far as the Bible's concerned, if you trust and believe in what Jesus Christ has done for you, you're saved. I'll let God judge the other stuff, because that's not up to me. And that's what we need to be. Don't let a noun, a person, place, thing, idea, or an animal, be the center of your life. Don't let yourself be the center of your life. Let Jesus Christ be the center of your life. Any questions? Comments? Concerns? <laughs> well, we'll cl I'll close. Well, actually, we're going to do, I think, I think this is how Scott does it. Someone's going to start us off in prayer, correct? 
And I only know a few people's names in here, so unless you raise your hand, there's only like three people I'm going to call on to do it <laughs> to start us out. My wife's already hiding her face real quick. But I'll end us up in prayer. Does anybody want to start us out in prayer and we'll go around the room and pray for our prayer list or anything else? Anybody? Alright, if you'll do it, and then anybody wants to pray as well. Go ahead. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we can call you Father because you have sent your Son who saved and rescued us. Lord, we thank you for this church family here that we get to join in with on, on Wednesday nights here for the next little bit. We do pray for all of them. We thank you for the group that is in Caswell that you would bless and encourage them to build up their faith during this time. Lord, I don't, I don't know any of the names on the list, but you know every single one of them. And we, we pray for your healing for those who are sick and, and ailing. We pray for your presence and comfort for those that are feeling lonely or, or in, in very difficult places in this season of their life. Lord, we pray uh, that you would be very close to the brokenhearted that have lost loved ones because of COVID or other things going on. Um, and we, we pray that you would be with um, the pastor of this church, Lord, that you would encourage him uh, with what he's talking about with the committee right now and what's going to be presented. And, and just in general, Lord, we pray for this body that it would be built up and be a, um, shine the light of Christ, not only from this place, but in all other places where this congregation uh, lives in their communities, their neighborhoods, Lord. And we want to see the name of Christ lifted higher and higher. So we pray that you would do that. We thank you for this teaching tonight. For, for me, it was uh, a new way to look at a, a passage, but I thank you for the way that um, our, our preacher tonight is obviously loves you and he loves your word and he's, he's studied this hard and well and, and given us this to look at and to think through and then given us this great application. So would you... Um, you build him up and encourage him too and um, thank you for the way he's serving this body that he grew up in continue to bless him and, and uh, his wife and thank you again for this chance to open up your word and to, to hear from you and have your spirit working in our hearts in Jesus name. Lord I want to lift up Ned and Finney uh, thank you for the way that you have upheld him as he's been in the process of recovering from that horrible automobile accident. Thank you that they were finally able to get his neck stabilized enough there in Alabama to be able to get him transported over to Dallas so that he can receive the treatment now for the in injury to his brain. Thank you, Lord, for the team of people and we pray that as they work with Ned, as they do their level best to try and repair what has been damaged in his brain. The Lord, that is such a delicate
take care of them or give them a desire to want to do their very best and not try something that they're not absolutely sure of. And so we let him know. I want to pray for uh, Brenda since there's no uh, rehab place that they can put Joel in. So now Brenda's going to be tasked with that and she's just got to the code herself. So Lord, uh, we pray that you would sustain both of them and that you would Show yourself strong on Brenda's behalf that she might be able uh, to, to carry this load that she uh, thinks that she wants to do now. So we, we pray for that. Lord, we just, our, our heart goes out to Dr. Willis. Uh, he's had the princess right beside him for decades and now she's with the Lord Jesus and there's this empty spot in his life and it's going to be there and it's going to take some getting used to and we pray that you give Dr. Willis the same confidence in you that Job had, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we lift up Dr. Wilson in a special way. Thank you that we can put him into your care and that you can fill that empty uh, chair there at the table. Lord, our prayers have lifted up to your throne of grace and mercy. Place of awe and majesty and wonder. Our holy, holy, holy is being cried out constantly because that's who you are. So, Lord, we lay them at your feet knowing that's the best place for them. Lord, through all the circumstances, through all the situations, we ask that you are glorified. Lord, we live in a lost and dying world. Just look at the things that are going on around us, overseas, in Afghanistan. But Lord, it is our job as your children to go out and to shine that light. Father, I thank you who you are for what you have done are doing and will do. I thank you for the great hope that one day we will see you face to face. Thank you for the people here tonight who have made the dedication to come and to hear your word, to bring their children to Awanas 
Lord, it is my prayer that each and every one of them will continue to lift up Pastor Scott and his church to you. He needs lots of prayers. So, Father, as we leave here tonight, as we go into a committee meeting, Lord, may your Holy Spirit just dwell in us. Give us wisdom and clarity on everything that's going on, Lord. And may we vote on what is pleasing to you, Father. Be with us now. Lead God and direct us in all that we do. Until we meet again, we ask these things in Jesus' name.